Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. This is the Bay Area Theater Podcast. I'm Richard Walensky. My guest is Tim Bond, who is the artistic director of TheaterWorks Silicon Valley, who is formerly the associate artistic director and artistic director over at the Seattle Group Theater, associate artistic director, Oregon Shakespeare Festival, producing artistic director, Syracuse Stage and Syracuse University Department of Drama, has directed many plays over the years, has been a professor at University of Washington School of Drama. You have a BFA from Howard University, an MFA in directing from the University of Washington. So let's go back to how you came to TheaterWorks and then what happened when you finally got here. Kelly had been around 50 years. He was a founding artistic director and was stepping down. Yes. Kelly had an amazing run here and founded the theater and was with it for 50 years, which has to be a record in the American theater for a theater of this size and impact being led by one leader that whole time. And, you know, the news had gone out nationally a few years earlier that Kelly was stepping down. And I was in a very different situation at that moment running the professional acting training program at the University of Washington, having stepped down from Syracuse. And about a year out from the end of Kelly's time, the theater started a search, and I was reached out to by a search firm to ask if I was interested in considering throwing my hat in the ring. And I checked out the search. I went through the initial interview process and met everyone here and fell in love with the place and just felt like it was... Uh, calling to me and met Kelly, you know, had never met him through all the years somehow and just adored him and felt like we had a lot of kinship. You came on board and I understand originally the 2021 season was going to be you and Kelly working together to create that season and then the pandemic hit. Is that correct? Yes. Kelly was in charge of putting together this season and brought me into the process to just run certain things by me and to see what I wanted to direct. And then COVID hit. I think I was planning to direct two, maybe even three pieces at one point in the process. And by COVID and by shows that were able or unable to be streamed, scheduling, budgets, a number of things all shifted. And we are excitedly finally up with Lizard Boy to start this season, which is not part of the original planning, but came in late. Once Kelly was finished in July of 2020, I took the reins and much has happened since then. And we now have a hybrid season of shows that Kelly had chosen and some that I've put in place. And I'm very excited about it. Generally speaking, seasons are announced in like February or March. So you were right on the cusp of pulling it all together. Is that right? Well, actually, because theater works, our seasons start in the summer, I start in July, we're ahead of a number of other regional theaters. So our seasons are typically announced in January, which in this case it was. So in January of 2020, we announced the season. Kelly and I went out in front of a live audience and announced it. We began selling subscriptions instantly. 
And then <laughs> in March, everything changed. By then, we were 60% subscribed to our season and things were rolling along. And when COVID hit, the brakes went on all of that. How long did it take you before you realized that in order to keep things going, you needed to do streaming? And that's where I guess Hershey Felder came in? That came in over the summer of 2020. So we were probably five months into the pandemic and Hershey had reached out. I had just seen him actually just days before COVID in Seattle. He was at the Seattle Rep at the same time I was at Seattle Rep actually doing Chopin, which is the show we're going to be doing here at TheaterWorks. And I was directing a show that opened and closed in its third week of its run in Seattle called The Children. And Hershey reached out and said, I'm here in Italy, which is where he had been planning to go before COVID anyway. And I'm kind of stuck here and I'm going to start streaming some shows and I'm going to write some new ones and stream them. Would you be interested in, in sharing them with your audience? And we shared three of those pieces. Now, usually when I talk to artistic directors who go through the whole pandemic era, I bring up the changes from Black Lives Matter. Did that affect theater works at all? Oh, absolutely. It's affected every theater artist and hopefully every citizen that's paying attention to what's going on in this country. And it was it definitely has affected us in very positive ways as we've been really looking at ways to become an anti-racist organization that is really committed to social justice and to looking at ways our equity and diversity and inclusion can really be holistic throughout the whole organization. So, so we've been doing a lot of meetings, a lot of investigating of our processes and procedures and policies as a way to make ourselves an even more equitable organization than, than it already was. Tim Bond, let's go back to you had you always been interested in theater? Where did you grow up? And how did that all come about? There's many different origin sort of relationships to the theater for me, but I was very fortunate as a child growing up with two educators. My dad was a college president. My mother was a, uh, was a fifth grade school teacher, and they had a great love of culture and literature and the arts and were supporters of that. So I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, and then Bowling Green, Ohio at Bowling Green University. And then when I was 13, we moved to Sacramento because my dad became president of Cal State Sacramento. And that's when I started coming to see theater in the Bay Area. And I was knocked out with shows that I was seeing. We would go on field trips as kids when they still did those things. Eventually, I had a drama teacher grab me out of the hallway one day and said to me, hey, Bond, I hear you uh, won a speech contest, which I had. I had won a local speech contest from the Optimist speech thing that they do. And, and he said, I want you in my drama class this is when we meet, sign up. And he walked away and, you know, playing his intention well as a good theater person. He won me over and I signed up and I started taking theater classes in high school and then did Godspell and fell in love with it. Were you acting at that point? Had you thought about directing or playwriting? I was acting at that point and that's sort of how I saw myself. But, you know, it was a student-directed project and a really well done one. I have to say she was amazing. Patty Price directed this piece and 
I admired her so much and, and thought, wow, you know, she just pulled us together and did this thing. And then back in my head, I think I was thinking, you know, I wonder if I'd ever do that someday. But, you know, I acted for a number of years, went to UCLA for my first two years of undergrad and was taking acting classes at that point. And then I did a summer stock thing up in the foothills of, of the Sierra Nevadas. And Joyce Lord, who was the producer of that, when I was 19 years old, came to me when I, I had been in the company the year before. I had acted in the Fantastics and in Oklahoma. And the next year we were doing the musical The Boyfriend. And I auditioned for it. And she came up to me and pulled me outside after the audition and said, you know, I really enjoyed your performances last season and we'd love to have you again. And we just lost the director for The Boyfriend. And I think you could do it. Would you be willing to take over and be the director this year? And we all lived up in the mountains and everything. And she said, I will pay you and you will have your own log cabin that you will live in for the summer. You have to stay separate from everyone else. The amount she paid me was quite substantial. And I said, well, I've never been a director. And she said, I'll mentor you. And that's really the break that I got at 19. So that was an amazing experience. And I will always be grateful to her for that. When you made the transition, I guess it was suddenly like a new world had opened up to you that you didn't even know that you wanted to do. Was it that sort of thing? In a way, it was. I had been in high school and and even in the Summerstock company. You know, I hung lights. I helped build sets. I helped build costumes. I already was getting a sense of the whole thing that it takes to make theater happen. I did sound design. You know, I had done a bunch of things. And so it was natural in a way. When she pulled me aside, she said, I see something in you. I watch you when everyone else is working and you're looking at it from a different position than just an actor. And I kind of smiled. She goes, you do, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, I guess so. And she goes, I think you're a director. Let me let me give you a shot. And And it was amazing. I mean, who does that? It was an extraordinary moment. The decision to move into artistic director or associate artistic director first, all of that was a new thing in addition. And you still kept directing, of course, but that meant you were allowed to help on the search for plays along the way, right? Yes. So I went to Howard. Howard was a transformational experience for me in finding my voice as as a young Black man at that time and to really understand my culture and my roots. And and it really helped me as an actor and as a director. There were great, great uh, training at that school. And I finished my undergrad there. When I went to grad school, uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to go into acting or directing. And the decision was made for me by how I was accepted into grad school for directing. And I went to University of Washington. And when I got there, they had a special opportunity for me to intern and do an apprenticeship at a theater called Seattle Group Theater. And the group was one of the first multicultural theaters in the country. It was founded in the late 70s. And it was committed to Black and Indigenous, Asian American, Pacific Islander, and uh, Native American writers and actors and directors. And we created some amazing work there. And I got to do every job. I painted sets. I worked in the sound booth. I assistant stage managed. I stage managed. I was literary manager. I was a dramaturg. I ran our Multicultural Playwrights Festival. And I did all that for a number of years. 
all in preparation to become an artistic director. And the artistic director there, Ruben Sierra, who founded that theater, mentored me. And eventually I took that theater over in my late 20s. So I've had great opportunities very early in my career. In all of those years, which was the directing job that stands out the most that you go, I nailed that one? Fortunately, I've had a few of those that were very important to me, and they stick with me for different reasons. One of them was Gem of the Ocean, which, you know, August Wilson play, it, was, it, it ends up beginning his 10-play cycle of amazing plays of the 20th century that go decade by decade. And this is the first decade. It takes place in 1904. And I did it at Oregon Shakespeare Festival. And it was the last show that I did there before I went to uh, Syracuse to become producing artistic director. But I, I felt like the spiritual journey of that play, its healing power, the vibrancy of the warrior characters in that play really came to life. The designs were gorgeous and the music that infuses the piece was gorgeous. And I I loved it. I loved working on it. So I guess that would be one. Gem of the Ocean, obviously, for the reasons you just said, is going to be at Theater Works uh, April 6th to May 1st of 2022. Do you plan to use a lot of the ideas from that earlier production for this one? Are you directing it? Oh, yes, I'm definitely directing it. You know, it's been over 15 years since I worked on it. So it will be very fresh again to me. I actually met with my designers this last weekend, which was glorious. Two of my designers worked on it with me before. We're building on what we learned from it last time. The world has changed as it does. We're different people now than we were 15 years ago. So the production will have evolved. And I'm really excited to see what happens. And one of the the great things about it is the lead character in the piece, who's Aunt Esther, who's a 285-year-old character, is being portrayed by Greta Oglesby, who originated the role in the very first production of this piece and was in my production 15 years ago. So she's 15 years closer to being 285. <laughs> but seriously, she is amazing in this role and will be the, you know, the center post for, for everything in that production. Really excited about it. Let's talk a little about this season. Are all of the shows going to do the live slash streaming or is that going to stop at a certain point or is that still up in the air? Well, right now, we only have the rights to do the first two productions. So Lizard Boy and then It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio show, which will happen in December. Those are the two that will be streamed. We're hoping after the first of the year that COVID and vaccinations and all those good things will have evolved to a place where we will not be live streaming after that. That's our current plan right now. But we're very excited to be able to, to stream these first two for folks that either are not feeling comfortable or are still unvaccinated so that they can enjoy the show. And then we're being able to reach out to people across the country and across the world. This is not the first time Theatre Works has filmed their shows. The musical Pride and Prejudice wound up on Amazon Prime. You guys sort of have a background in this thing because it was a very professional production. Indeed, yes. Paul Gordon's musical Pride and Prejudice was streamed by over 160,000 viewers in 14 countries worldwide when it had its debut in April of 2020. And it is now available to watch on Amazon Prime. And, you know, that was a special project, brought in a whole film crew and all that. And it went on Broadway HD originally and then eventually moved to Amazon. So that was very cool. 
there's a future for some of those kinds of projects for us coming down the line. I have to tell you that the rights, you know, getting the rights to shows that are not world premieres where playwrights are involved is not as easy as one would think it is. And if we have not been doing this in the American theater for a long time because the unions going across unions, it's a complicated thing. I won't get into it all, but it's, we don't know what the future is going to be for all these things, but I think some kind of hybrid streaming options and live options will becoming more and more common. And we will wait to see if some of the opportunities that have opened up in this regard subside when COVID subsides or whether they remain permanent. And we don't have the answer to that yet, but we're excited to do it right now. Tim Bond, let's talk about Lizard Boy, which is a three-person show. How did that come to TheaterWorks? We're exposed to it through the National Association of Musical Theater virtual showcase over a year and a half ago. And, and when I saw it, I was knocked out by it. Executive Director Phil Santora actually sits on the committee that helps make the decisions of which shows uh, promoted in that. And he had read it and said, I read something I think you're going to like. I, I read it and I saw it. And then I met with the folks and I said, let's do a workshop on this and do some further development, which what their interest was. We did that in our last virtual New Works Festival here at Theater Works last April. And then one of our shows that we had planned to do, we were unable to stream, and it was supposed to open this season. And so I went straight to the Lizard Boy folks and said, we're ready to put this on stage if you if you all are up for it, because we knew they were thinking about doing an international tour of the show. And they said that would be fantastic. And so that's how it came to us. I also had heard about it when it played in Seattle in 2015, because I had just directed Fences and it came in after me. And then it came in just before I did piano lesson at the Seattle Repertory Theater. So the buzz was still in the air in Seattle when I first arrived back there from Syracuse and was curious about it and then just fell in love with this piece. The next play, which is in December, is It's a Wonderful Life, the radio play. I think I saw that. That's been around a while, hasn't it? It has been around. It actually was developed by a guy out of Stanford many years ago. It plays occasionally in different theaters, but it's a really beautiful approach to an amazing story that has had you know legs for a really long time on television. I watch it every year. It is a piece that has grabbed my heart. But to see it as a live radio play, I thought that would be really fun to see because coming back from COVID into the theater... I'm very interested in these first two shows and celebrating theatricality, the power of actors to incite our imaginations and to evoke great stories through really simple gestures. So the Foley artist work that will be happening during It's a Wonderful Life will be going on at the same time as it's accompanying five actors playing all the roles from the movie, as, as you may have known it, and really telling a story that I think will win our hearts in a moment that many of us have been isolated and need some hope. It's all a lot of fun, if I remember correctly. It's a ton of fun. It's really fun. A very exciting way to uh, tell the story. And it will go beyond just being radio. People used to go and watch 
live radio shows in the audience. It's going to go beyond that. Kind of the scripts fall away and it suddenly really kind of becomes the story in front of you, even though they're still doing it as a radio show. I won't give away any more surprises, but I think it'll be a, a really theatrical and a great nod to old radio and a really important time to uh, have a story of redemption and hope. And the next show is Hershey Felder doing as Monsieur Chopin. And he's been doing a lot of these. I interviewed him years ago about his Gershwin show. I guess this one was developed and already aired last summer. Is that correct? This has never been streamed and it wasn't filmed when he was in Italy. This one has only been live and I think will probably re remain that way. He's done it for a couple of years. I saw it in Seattle and really enjoyed it. It's it's enchanting and just full of a lot of vibrancy and, and uh, the audience is taken into the um, music students with Chopin taking them through a lesson and beautiful music. Sense and Sensibility, Paul Gordon musical. He was the uh, creator of Pride and Prejudice. So I guess that's more in the similar line. Did you guys commission him on that one? We did not. That piece was originally commissioned by the uh, Chicago Shakespeare Company. And it had a great run there. And it is a gorgeous rendering of that story, the Jane Austen novel, Sense and Sensibility, a really beautiful rendering of that story with actors that uh, I think will be from diverse backgrounds, which makes it a, an inclusive story. These issues are human issues that go on in Jane Austen novels. And, and the music is really, really charming. Gem of the Ocean by August Wilson, April 6th through May 1st. I saw a version of that at Marin Theatre Company, and it was done in a very abstract way. Is this going to be done more like a normal play? Yes, in that sense. It very much takes place in Aunt Esther's home in Pittsburgh and debarks from that on the journey that the character goes on. So it starts in a realistic world that has a very spiritual sort of sacred power to it, but it will be based on reality. And then you'll go on a journey that takes you on an extraordinary epic spiritual journey and then come back to reality again. Then comes Ragtime. I saw it when it first came out. It's a great show. This show requires a very large cast. How many people are going to be in the cast of Ragtime? Oh, gosh, you're asking me a question I'm not prepared to answer on this spot. But it is a big cast. It's a really wonderful cast. You may know that we had started rehearsals on the show. We'd gotten one week into rehearsals when COVID happened. The plan is to have that entire cast of adults return to do the show. There are kids in the show as well. And unfortunately, so much time has passed. For some of them, I think most of them, they will have aged out of being able to do the roles they had originally been cast in. So we'll be casting other children in the play, but it's, it's a great cast. It's a terrific cast of folks. And you're extending into the summer, into July, and I guess August, Queen, The Collapse of Bees. How did you find that one? That's a piece that they had found before I was hired, and I read it, and I just was knocked out by it and thought, we have to do that play. And Kelly was excited about it as well. And uh, Jeffrey Lowe is going to be directing it. It's by a local writer from the Bay Area, uh, Madhuri Shekhar. And it's a great 
piece that really deals with the collapse of the bees, but also deals with some some very important ethical questions about. I won't go into the whole plot, but it's a pretty exciting new play that was developed originally in Chicago and has been lauded everywhere that it's played. It deals with ecological disasters and, and academia and friendships. And the final show is Nan and the Lower Body, and that comes out of your New Works Festival, right? Yes, it was a huge hit in the New Works Festival in 2019. People were really enchanted with the piece. It deals with the uh, doctor that invented the pap smear, but it's a frank, funny, engaging piece about his assistant, Nan. Both of these pieces, interestingly, Queen and Nan and Lower Body, deal with women scientists. I think that's pretty great to be talking about women in science right now. And and this piece is a great celebration of of Nan and understanding more about the lower body of women and, and how important it is that we have decent health for everyone. You have two theaters, Mountain View and then the theater in Palo Alto. How do you know which one is going where? Well, that's a great question. And I, I will learn more about that because many of those decisions were sort of made already as I came into this job. But you look at the requirements of the play physically and look at what it will take technically to accomplish the piece. And so some plays are smaller and need smaller sets. And so they work better in the Lucy Stern and and Palo Alto because it's a 400-seat house. And some of them need a a larger canvas to paint on. And so we uh, are in Mountain View with those. Beyond that, I'm not sure what other considerations. I mean, certainly there are shows that you imagine due to their titles or whatever may attract larger audiences than some others in terms of going from a 400 to a 600 seat house. So those are part of the considerations. But in the end, a lot of it just comes down to scheduling. Right. Uh, Ragtime going to be in Mountain View then, I would assume. Yes, it will be in Mountain View, yes. Backstage, the Lucy Stern of the smaller theater – uh, you can't squeeze that many people into the uh, dressing rooms, right? It would be tough. It would be tough. From my two tours back there, I would say that would be tough. So it, Mountain View is a much more forgiving space for, for doing ragtime. And I think it'll fill that space beautifully. We look at the size of the idea of the story, but also the physical requirements of it, both in terms of cast size and, and scenic elements. And there's so many things that go into these decisions. Lizard Boy is a small show. I assume it could have played in either place, but that's where scheduling comes in, I would think. Absolutely. But I think it sits gorgeously on that stage. And, you know, we just smalled down the portal of the proscenium and the sound of their music is just so, I think it sounds beautiful in Mountain View and I think it looks beautiful in Mountain View. So I think it's in the right place. Um, Tim Bond, now that you've got this coming season settled, and hopefully everything goes on schedule, but of course with variants, we don't know what's going to happen. Right now, of course, you're planning the 22-23 season because you have to. Do you simply ignore at this point the fact that things might change and just pretend in your head that it's going to go on as it did before? Nothing's going to go on like it did before, but we don't know what that difference will be. In the end, you know, you you tell stories on stage that have an impact and are relevant. And 
and matter and, you know, celebrate the human spirit and the power of uh, live theater to uh, be transformational. And so those are the things that will guide our decisions. And then scheduling and COVID restrictions and whatever else is going to come down the pike in the world right now, you adjust to them as they come, but you can't plan for disruption or change. You have to stay in a flexible mindset. You know, we've adapted as quickly as we can the last uh, 19 months since COVID happened, and uh, we'll continue adjusting as things come down the, the line. But we're we're excited to look at that next season. And, you know, there are things that you take into account that are not in your control. And so you just stay flexible, adaptable. It sounds as if every theater company has learned something from that, that yeah. they have to do that. Yeah, it's a, it's a crazy time. It's a, it's a crazy time. But I'll tell you, uh, the thing that I really have discovered about with Lizard Boy and, uh, I, and will continue to discover through the season is how important theater is to building community and to giving us back a sense of, of our humanity and how healing theater can be to experience live and or stream. But to the story itself is essential. It's, story is one of the most important parts of what makes us human. And being able to get back to, to telling stories in live theater with people in community is really great right now. And we're really excited to keep going. You've been listening to an interview with Tim Bond, the artistic director of Theater Works, Silicon Valley. Lizard Boy is playing at Mountain View Center for the Arts in person through October 31st. And it's streaming October 19th through November 7th. Proof of vaccination is required along with an ID, and you will be wearing masks in the theater the whole time. For more information, you can go to theaterworks.org. I'm Richard Wolinski on the Bay Area Theater Podcast. Mm-hmm.